Good morning. This is Real Estate for Breakfast podcast, and I'm your host, Philip Coover of Clark Hill PLC. Bring us your biggest idea is the mantra of Sterling Bay, a developer here in Chicago, Illinois. Today we have Dean Marks. He's a general counsel and principal of Sterling Bay, and I love their mantra, bring us your biggest idea. I think that they don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk, and they're doing all sorts of really innovative, interesting projects here in the Chicago area and across the United States, actually, including Utah. But mostly they're known for their projects being sort of the pioneers of the West Loop developments. They've done many projects. Uh, notably, they did the Google headquarters, which Dean will speak about today. And then they also did the uh, old Oprah Harpo Studios, which they converted to McDonald's headquarters, and all their projects are just incredibly fascinating. I'd encourage you to go on their website and take a look at what they're doing. They're also doing this massive project along the Chicago's uh, north side of the river, bridging the gap between Wicker Park and Lincoln Park, which is called Lincoln Yards, which will be this massive complex that has commercial, residential, it has an entertainment component where they're bringing uh, a stadium with a concert. A venue and a soccer team and they're doing all this really interesting exciting things and that's also the uh, development where they're leading the charge to try to bring the Amazon second headquarters here to Chicago as well and we'll talk about that briefly and then we'll also talk about Sterling Bay and how they've risen to prominence in the past 10 years and I think that you'll find Dean and the, our conversation and what he has to say about all the different Sterling Bay projects really really interesting. When I started this podcast, as I mentioned to Dean to start this episode, one of my goals was I just wanted to interview someone from Sterling Bay. And through this podcast, I finally got that opportunity. So I need a new goal. So I'm opening new goals. I want to encourage you to reach out to me to tell me who I should interview and who we should talk to here on the podcast, what what you want to hear. My email is pcoover, P-C-O-O-V-E-R at clarkhill.com. Again, pcoover at clarkhill.com. And I look forward to hearing your thoughts and ideas. Please leave us a review on the website or on iTunes and uh, give us a rating. That really helps, actually, as we move this podcast to a national level. The Real Estate for Breakfast podcast is a Chicago-centric commercial real estate podcast, now on a national level, which presents real estate professionals and attorneys to create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues, explanation of sophisticated real estate problems, current developments, entertaining discussion. The podcast is a mixture of real estate business and the law. A little bit about our producer, Clark Hill is a multidisciplinary international law firm that draws on our attorney's comprehensive industry and policy knowledge in a global network of industry advisors and subject matter authorities to provide innovative legal solutions and client service excellence worldwide. Our real estate services team is more than 45 professionals and we have over 600 attorneys in a dozen other practice groups serving clients in 25 offices in the United States, Ireland, and Mexico. Well, everyone, enjoy the uh, Sterling Bay podcast with Dean Marks. I know I did. Take care and talk to you soon. Good morning. This is Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Coover, and I'm joined today by the uh, general counsel and principal of Sterling Bay, Dean Marks. Dean, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. 
So, Dean, I should tell you at the, at the top, when I started this podcast, uh, one of my goals was that I wanted to talk to someone from Sterling Bay. And so that was, so here we are, I have to get a new goal after today. Nailed it. <laughs> but what I wanted to talk to you all because I love a lot of the projects that you have worked on in Chicago, and I just wanted to have the opportunity to ask Sterling Bay about it. And I, even the front of your website right now says something to the effect of bring us your biggest idea. I just that's exactly I, right. I think that yeah. that's such a great philosophy to have. Um, we we mean it when we say it up there, and I think we've had a lot of success interacting with tenants um, on the creative side of the office business by virtue of encouraging that creativeness and not trying to put them into you know vanilla boxes that are easier to deliver. We we want them to bring us something new that we haven't done before. Speaking of tenants, um, I'd like to, there's a couple things that I want to touch on today. And I was just thinking of, I've, in my mind at least, I could be wrong, what sort of uh, got Sterling Bay a lot of publicity was how you all developed most of the West Loop in my, in my mind. Uh, but I'd just like you to talk a little bit about your efforts in the West Loop and when Sterling Bay started to make that push and, and what all you've accomplished there. Sure. So it was a little over 10 years ago they had started, you know, Sterling Bay had started acquiring buildings in what's the West Loop proper, um, which is just the area immediately adjacent to the loop, but west of the loop train line and then still east of the expressway, in my opinion. Um, and we did some medium-sized deals there, a 100,000-square-foot building at 626 West Jackson um, with a great tenant mix. And then really the first deal of scale was the Sara Lee headquarters. It was a 200, I think it's about 250,000 square foot building that we acquired. It was a former armory for World War II, I want to say, and then it was a printing press after that. It had no windows, um, but it was great space, big floor plates. It, I can't say open and uh, that there were no windows, but uh, we showed it to Sara Lee at the time and they really liked it and wanted to move their entire headquarter operation downtown and they took that space and it kind of began this uh, suburban to urban trend, at least for us. Um, after that, we transitioned more of our attention to what is now uh, considered Fulton Market. They kind of overlap and blend between Fulton mm -hmm. Market and the West Loop. I just think of them distinctly um, because we were, you know, a block off of Fulton and at the center of Fulton Market for the last uh, eight years. Um, that development strategy initiated with uh, the cold storage building that's at 1000 Fulton. It was a large 10-story building in a warehouse district of all two-story buildings, um, had some great history, had great bones, and we were able to make a, a good long-term um, acquisition deal where, you know, they gave us, the seller gave us uh, over a year to figure out, you know, the zoning and the execution. Um, and at the same time, there was visibility on the new train station there at Lake and Morgan, a new L stop, which was, you know, one of the first new L stops in, in years. And the city was spending tens of millions of dollars to make it happen. And so we thought it was going to become a very viable office location. And lo and behold, thankfully, Google uh, agreed with us and they came to the table and started negotiating, you know, a lease for that particular building. And it was really that deal was the impetus that kind of kicked off the explosion that's made Fulton Market kind of the super hot sub-market that it is in the country today. 
Um, and as that was going on, we saw, you know, uh, fortunately what was going to follow. And everyone knew Fulton Market was coming. Um, it just seemed like it was going to happen quicker than anybody was expecting. And we um, raised our first fund, which was uh, right around $100 million, and partnered with J.P. Morgan, uh, who was a great partner to take that kind of development risk um, in, in a new and up-and-coming market, and went out and snapped up, I think it was 33 buildings in about a year and a half. So the legal team was pretty busy with acquisitions. Um, we were closing two, three deals a week uh, in one stretch. Um, and we took down kind of as much of the property as we as we could viably, you know, pursue and handle at the time. Um, and, you know, the, the thesis has proved correct, I think, in that, you know, we were buying land at $80 a foot and land trades now at, you know, over 300 a foot. And in some locations, it's as much as $500 a foot in Fulton Market. Um, and we've managed to attract new office tenants and have done some great multi-tenant buildings. We just moved into our new office building at 1330 West Fulton, which is on the west end of Fulton at Ogden, which is a great multi-tenant building with tenants like Skender and Glassdoor and Dyson. And that was literally yesterday we moved in there. Um, Wow. But before we did that, you know, we got another great bounce with um, the Harpo property that we had bought from Oprah, uh, where it was a great property of scale and size located right on Randolph, right in the heart of Fulton Market. And um, after showing it to a, a couple different interested parties, um, you know, McDonald's really took an interest in it. and their key was speed of execution which is one of our hallmarks and strengths and we made a deal with them it was a lease deal you know unlike anything I've ever seen or done before where the whole thing was negotiated start to finish I think in under 30 days um, Wow. yeah we, we were we referred to it as the you know the 6-6 D lineman who runs the 4440 you know where it was just the biggest fastest thing we'd ever done um, and then we built that building and I think it took 16 months and they moved in last month. And uh, I think the building looks really nice. Um, I think the design team did a great job. The construction team and McHugh specifically did an unbelievable job executing that, that uh, building. Um, it was a complex execution, uh, both from the speed and the scale of the job, uh, along with the site constraints. Um, and McDonald's kind of validated what we already felt was true, um, but validated it on a national scale that, you know, the West Loop and Fulton Market are, are viable office locations for Fortune 500 companies that aren't necessarily tech companies. They're just, you know, big, giant, national, international companies. Um, and we continue to see more and more interest. And sooner or later, we'll, you know, get a big law firm to move out there. They're usually, you know, no offense to Clark Hill, uh, the, you know, the last adopters of those trends um, we've gotten some accounting firms we've gotten some interest from from law firms um, but you know the big corporate tenants are there so yeah no, I mean, you don't want to knock our location too bad I, I, I do like this location buildings uh, <laughs> uh, near Prudential <laughs> Plaza but a couple of things that caught my attention but I there are law firms are starting my wife works for a law firm that's actually on this plane so it's mm -hmm. they're starting to go west um, it's usually probably the ones that aren't that don't have litigation needs close right. to the courthouse. Courthouse and title company needs. If you you know if you're 
a service-oriented law firm and you don't have to be at the courthouse and you don't necessarily need to be at the title company all the time. You can be outside the loop. Maybe you just get a title company first. That's a good idea. have them follow. I hope Chicago Title is listening. So. <laughs> we'll send it to them. Um, I was wondering, when you bought 33 properties in a year and a half, what time period was that? That was 2011 to 2013, 14. Yeah. So, and I mean, we're still buying things out there. We're, we're selling a lot of our properties now just to kind of move through the life cycle of that fund vehicle. Um, but there's still, you know, interest in acquiring properties if they're strategically located or at a reasonable cost basis. Uh, we'll, we'll still buy stuff there. So. Yeah, so what I'm trying to figure out is the chicken or the egg, dude. Uh, the West Loop happened, and then Sterling Bay jumped on it, or did Sterling Bay see it happen, and then... I don't think we can take too much uh, credit there. I think the train station happened, and the West, the you know, Fulton Market was going to happen regardless. I think we, um, we saw it as well as anybody, and we put ourselves, I don't want to say we happened to be in the right place at the right time, but we, we put ourselves in the right place at the right time, because it was right then that we made a decision, too, to move our office... Uh, over the corner of Carpenter and Randolph, which was a block away from that new L station. We just felt that was going to be, you know, right at the epicenter of where everything was going to um, spread out from. And, you know, sure enough, McDonald's global headquarters ended up right across the street from there. So I'd like to think we were close to right. But there were people who were in Fulton Market before us who knew it was on the come. I think that we just kind of um, nailed the timing and then also got that first big execution down right at the perfect moment uh, to then capitalize on the rest of you know what the dominoes that were falling. Yeah, and so. re- starting the fund to get the capital to make that investment in the West Loop was really smart. It's just not to just rely on some of your own resources, but to just put it together. Like that was really smart, just to make a bigger play, bring people along with your ideas. We couldn't have done it any other way frankly up until that point we had organized capital um on a deal by deal basis and that was fine when you were doing you know a couple deals a year or even a deal a month um but to do three four acquisitions a week uh it wasn't going to work and we we knew that we knew we wanted to buy as much as we could so uh the other question i wanted to on this note is just when you and i think based on the amount of properties i kind of have a sense of the answer is do you always have an idea of what you want to do with the property before you buy it and have a tenant lined up or do you buy it um, on spec basically like knowing that it will be worthwhile sure the first scenario would obviously be the ideal and it's it's not usually the case Um, to the extent we can buy a property and have a tenant lined up we'll do that probably a hundred times out of a hundred um, for all, all those deals, we didn't have a plan. Uh, we were we just saw the the value add and the value creation that was happening all around it, and knew that we were going to be able to figure it out. Um, it was a big bet. It was a bet on ourselves. J.P. Morgan made the same bet, and you know, fortunately, I think time and the market have proven that it was a good bet. Um, you know, our building at 210 Carpenter is just about fully leased. Our building at 1330 Fulton, again, our new headquarters, is just about fully leased. Um, and so we're in the process of, you know, trying to bring some new buildings out of the ground pretty soon over there because we're out of space. Uh, we're just about out of space to lease. Um, but we didn't have those tenants that are in those buildings on our radar when we were buying those buildings. And a lot of those properties kind of sat and, uh, you know, just waited for the right group to show up. 
Um, you know, and there was one property in particular where we knew there was no plan. It was a little bit of an outlier. It was a property, um, 370 Carpenter. Um, it was a great company, Kingdom Farms, uh, owned by uh, a gem of a man named Kieran Moran, who had been a meatpacker his whole life. And he, uh, so we made a, a deal and sold us. He sold us his property, and it was a 13,000 foot building on 33,000 feet of land. And we knew it wasn't you know, quite big enough for us to put a real tenant in there, but what we ended up using it for was incubator space. So it's worked out in that we've had three different tenants take that space for, you know, 30 months at a time while they either made a better longer-term deal with us or we built them a building somewhere else. Um, and so that deal is one that was hard to defend for what we were paying for it at the time, but has led to bigger and better things uh, over the course of the last six years, and it's been a great deal. There's there's two problems that I have with this podcast is that it's only audio. I wish that we could show some of the pictures, some of the, the visuals you guys have, especially when we start talking about Lincoln Yards in a minute. But one thing that really caught my eye when I saw your presentation for DePaul uh, at the Art Institute is just the cold storage building. It, the, now the Google headquarters. Yeah. But when you guys bought that, it, it had 10, 12-foot icicles. It was covered in ice. It was terrifying. We called it um, Superman's Fortress of Solitude. If you remember the yeah. original <laughs> Superman movie, it looks you, like that. You went in there, and there were rooms that were just you know stalactites of icicles that hung from you know twelve foot ceilings down to the floor, and then you would walk into you know other rooms, and there would be you know a, a significant amount of uh, food product or animal carcasses and you know things that you know are commonplace in the meatpacking industry but not commonplace when you're an office developer you'd walk in there was a whole room full of um of pigs um frozen pigs and uh it was it, it was scary in spots and it didn't you know can't say that it smelled great um but we knew what we had to do and the big concern there was you know how much of this building is being held up by ice um so we knew we had to thought, and so we found the right group to do it, uh, who had done a similar job. I think out in Kansas City there was a, a very similar building, and they thought it very slowly, and uh, the building stayed upright. And then we had to um, mitigate some of the uh, remaining aroma and smell that was left over that had seeped into the concrete for years, and so we sandblasted a bunch of the concrete off, and then you know did took some other measures to to help with that and it ended up being a really great shell of a building um, because we kept the superstructure for zoning purposes where because it was the only 10-story building around it was grandfathered in and so we peeled the skin off and left the concrete superstructure and then rebuilt the skin um, and it was a, a less than conventional execution but I think it turned out pretty well and it's actually a really nice building if you walk around the inside of it it looks really sharp um, and I think Google's pretty happy and uh, you know it's got a great deck and a new building, um, not just their deck on the top of the 10th floor, the new building that's adjacent to it has a deck on the sixth floor and it's got great views of the area all around. So, Very cool. Well, you told us about how you made, Sterling Bay made the bet on the West Loop, but now you're making a very different bet up on the north side with your Lincoln Yards project, which is uh, in the news quite a bit. And I just, Again, it's a shame we don't have the picture, so I just want to take this to encourage people to Google up some pictures of Lincoln Yards and the Sterling Bay website and some of the articles because it is, it really helps uh, the visual, tells the picture, tells a thousand words. I think that's some, it. Some of that effect. Uh, but I was, you know, tell us about your, your play up on the river. So that was... Um, 
2000 and the end of 2014, beginning of 2015, things, you know, had played out like we had hoped in Fulton Market, and we were looking for, you know, what is the next opportunity for us, and uh, you got to give Andy Glore, you know, all the credit in the world. That's his vision, and I think he's dead right again on it, um, in that he lives in Lincoln Park at the time I lived in Bucktown. Now I live in Wicker Park. But in between Lincoln Park and Bucktown, for anyone who lives in the city of Chicago, there was this swath of industrial land that, you know, I think it's made its way finally into the common vernacular, but it, legally it's called the PMD, the Planned Manufacturing District, um, that was put in place in 1988 by Mayor Daley, and it was put there to put manufacturing jobs in the city and to keep them in the city. So it was a protected zoning um, for that area that only allowed industrial uses in that area. Uh, you know, 30 years ago, that made a ton of sense. Over that period of time, Lincoln Park had changed dramatically, as had Bucktown. Um, and now you had, you know, multi-million dollar homes and people raising their family in the city a block away from, you know, steel mills and scrapping plants and, and that kind of stuff. And so it, it started to make less and less and less sense. Um, so we went from talking to you know every meat packer to every steel mill guy and every scrap metal guy you know over there, um, and slowly started to make deals. To we acquired a couple of the smaller pieces that are uh, at the north end of Lincoln Yards, the Gutman property, the Lakin property, um, and then we were talking to the Finkel company, um, and that was the big kind of linchpin piece for us. Uh, it was a significant size, and the deal took about a year. Um, and you know we were able to close it. I think it was at the end of 2016. I might be screwing up the timeline, but it, it gave us about 32 acres of contiguous land up there. Um, and then we started kind of acquiring everything on the south side of the river, and that's you know culminated in the middle of last year. We bought uh, the fleet management parcel from the city. Um, and so all in all, we've acquired about 75 acres of land, um, most of it contiguous, all of it kind of uh, bisected by the river. And then you have Lincoln Park and Bucktown on either side. And the zoning, that was a zoning bet, you know, and you were paying, you know, just north of $100 a foot for all this industrial land with the uh, strategy being that if you could just change the zoning from manufacturing to commercial, the right. land is going to double, if not triple in value just out of the gate without doing nothing. Um, so the city, you know, saw what, what we saw and agreed to change the zoning. I think it was in July of 2017, so we were pretty excited about that. And then sure enough, right on the heels of that, Amazon announced their HQ2 search. Um, and so we put that piece forward. We think it's a pretty compelling piece. Uh, you know, we think they they liked it and they enjoyed touring it, and they, they think the thesis is also correct. Um, whether or not they choose Chicago is anybody's guess. Um, there are cities and states, you know, offering some pretty significant incentive packages, and I think Chicago competes excellently on a national, if not global, scale. Um, but you never know when someone's just going to offer you, you know, such a crazy deal that you have to take it, either in Virginia or wherever it is. So, but with that area, you know, we're very mindful of that development because it's, it is kind of entirely from scratch. It's completely a blank slate, um, and you're surrounded by two dense residential neighborhoods on either side. And again, we live there. You know, we 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 all live kind of right. in and around that whole area. 
um, and we are raising our families there. And so if we don't do a great job of it, we're going to hear about it from our neighbors and from our kids, you know, friends and their parents and all that kind of stuff. So we're taking a, a very thoughtful, I think, approach to trying to put together a great master plan, not just for uh, you know, a, a developer's balance sheet, but for, you know, a community to be excited about, you know, open space and recreational areas and activation of the river and transportation benefits and, and all that kind of good stuff that everybody wants, but it is harder to execute than it seems. So, Yeah, well, congrats on that zoning change. That's a big win for the legal department, I'll bet. <laughs> it was a good one. It was a good day. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit just about the I don't have the statistics in front of me, but sort of the, the size and scope of the project and how much residential sure. units you plan to bring and how much commercial space. Sure. So we can build up to 20 million square feet total based on the zoning and the FAR of 6.5. I don't think that it's going to get you know to that full density, but that's what we can legally build if we built every square inch of FAR. Uh, half of that is allowed to be residential under the North Branch framework. So, you know, you're talking about a, a, up to 10 million square feet of residential. Um, what that looks like, you know, at least in our performas is not quite all that much, but it's, um, I, I want to say it's between uh, three and 5,000 um, units, and it might be less than that. Um, of varying size and scale, you know, you, you'll build a nice mix of, you know, uh, multi, of multifamily buildings, single-family homes, townhomes, all different types of products. Um, you know, the density is, a, is, you know, one of the things we're approaching, um, not cautiously, but trying to be thoughtful about it, and that, again, anyone who lives over there knows that traffic can get a little snaggly, and what the last thing you want to do is... Um, unintentionally make it worse so our intent and our goal is for the residents is to follow the jobs frankly and that the easiest thing and the best thing I think for the development in general is um, for us to do what we do best and find a, a large commercial office user um, and lead with a few thousand jobs and then they're going to require a few hundred residences and then kind of let it uh, go organically from there um, you know but once it's all said and done again we're talking about a development that will be you know 10 billion dollars in total over the course of 10 years if not longer so it's not like a couple thousand homes are just going to get dropped right in the middle of, of the development in the next two years it's this is going to happen over a, a decade if not decades so yeah and then there's also what i what i thought was interesting about the transportation aspect is that uh, you're extending the 606, which goes across Wicker Park and Logan Square, and that you know that's a great way to just build some walkability and accessibility that way. And then, aren't you also uh, including a train stop? That's correct. And so, one of our partners, Keith Crown, who also lives three blocks from the development in Bucktown, uh, was heavily involved in the original 606. Um, and, and did a lot of the organization and fundraising work on that initial effort. And we've seen firsthand, again, the house that I moved out of three years ago in Bucktown when I moved to Wicker Park was a block off the 606. We all saw firsthand kind of, A, what a great amenity it is, and B, what it did to just kind of you know invigorate all the properties around it. Um, and it ends just west of the expressway at Ashland, just west of our site. And so, you know, the first thing, one of the first things we started talking about doing was bringing it across and over and through. 
um, just because it is. It's, you know, the idea of being able to walk or bike to work without crossing a stoplight or having to, you know, uh, dodge a car is just it would be heaven for any, uh, you know, non-automobile commuter. Um, and so we're hell-bent on making that happen. Um, we think that the city in general is trying to become more walkable, more, more bikeable, uh, and we want to be a big part of it. Yeah, no, I, I know you may not be able to comment too much on that, but I would imagine if I was a city that I would be excited about a private uh, developer wanting to help increase uh, some of the walkability and some of the amenities for its residents. And I think the city is excited about it. Um, you know, I think any help you can render the city, they, they graciously accept. Um, and, you know, the same is true with the train station. There's an existing metro stop there. It's called the Clybourne Metro Stop, even though it's really at Ashland and Cortland. Um, but, you know, it's a, I don't want to say, you know, a dilapidated platform, but it's an older open platform that has parking for maybe 20 to 25 cars. Um, and, you know, if we're talking about bringing a couple thousand jobs right there, we want it to be, you know, a commuter s uh, station, a real, a real center and a gathering place and a hub, a transportation hub. Um, so part of our proposal moves that train station just about a block south um, into a building we would build on our property. That would be a brand new state-of-the-art metro stop. And, you know, that metro line serves, you know, all of the northwest suburbs. Um, so there's some heavy population that uses that. And, you know, one of our pitches to the tenants is that stop saves you 20 minutes because it's, you know, whether you're driving or riding the, the train, you know, there's three expressway exits right there because the Kennedy is adjacent to the site on its western edge as well. And it's really, you know, anyone who drives in from the suburbs knows that right around when you get to Armitage, everything kind of comes to a halt and then you kind of right. grind your way in, you know, into the city, into the loop. Um, and so just that last, you know, mile and a half, two miles is usually the, the slog. Um, and so if you can eliminate that part of your commute, I think it, you know, saves you a decent part of your day. You end up being a little bit closer to O'Hare to the extent that you travel. So all of those things, you know, kind of come together and, and make for a really great uh, potential office location as well as, you know, the residential stuff around it already has proven that the it's a great residential area. So. Yeah, so you have the residential, you have the office space, you have your, your building on some of the existing um, non-automobile transportation, but then you also have uh, some, a lot of green space that you're building in there, and you're trying to bring entertainment uh, as well to that area. That's, that's right. So again, you know, I have two small kids, Andy has two small kids, Keith has two small kids. All of us live three, four blocks from the property. We want there to be parks. We want there to be green space, open space, rec space. We want to be able to, you know, drop a kayak in the river or jump on a water taxi and come downtown that way. And so, you know, we've already initiated the water taxi stop, which will be at Webster. Um, that's going to be a great amenity. It's like a 20 to 25 minute ride into the city on the water taxi and a day like today. It's a, it's a great way to kind of cruise in. Don't hit any traffic. You know, you're not going to go as fast as if you had your foot on the floor in a car, but it's a nice way to get into the city. Um, you know, I think our current master plan is right around 12 acres of open space, which is fairly significant, you know, when you put it in the context of the overall development plan. Um, and then once you factor in the remaining pockets of open space. I think our master plan is about 30% open space, and I would double check that, but I think that's where it shakes out. And, you know, look, that's 
it, it's smart development in my mind and that you want those amenities there um, because they they make for just a better experience and they draw you know better quality tenants and residences to the site um, we have no intention of building everything you know uh, from street to street you know with concrete that's just not a it's not going to fly and b it's not what we would want to do so and then is sterling bay a bunch of soccer fans so I hear you guys want to bring a soccer team yeah. uh, to Chicago. So, you know, when we were talking about what can differentiate the site um, from other large, you know, office sites, one of the, when we honed in on transportation, you know, we had been approached by a couple different groups and we started to look at it and, you know, they were telling, people were telling us, hey, this would be a great stadium site. And we're like, well, you know, what? And then we looked at it. We're like, you know what? It is a great stadium site. It's it's got you know the, all the land that you can need. It's got transportation accessibility and train and river and and um, you know a footpath and bicycle paths and wow, I guess it is a transportation uh, a stadium site. Um, you know, and so we explored some options and we went out and talked to some people. And um, when we met the guys from the USL, they just couldn't have been better and more collaborative. Uh, partners and they saw it too right away they you know said this would be amazing um and we would love to work with you guys and you know uh, credit to to those guys justin papadakis and jake edwards and alec papadakis who who met with us and immediately knew that we knew very little if not straight nothing about soccer um they saw our vision for the development and knew that you know we we tend to do what we say we're going to do we're, we're pretty good at that and so we're like hey this is what we are planning and we're gonna we're gonna do this and they said you know what we believe you and they sold us the rights to the Chicago USL team um, fortunately for us and this is you know recently in the paper you know we have also been talking to the Ricketts family and you know they know quite a bit more about sports management than we're ever going to know. Yeah, they're pretty good at yeah, it. Yeah, and they're pretty good at it and so um, you know they have a focus on soccer as well and you know Tom Ricketts and Crane Kenny and Alex Sugarman from his team were very uh, great to, to deal with and talk to and you know they ended up kind of stepping in and um, making a deal with us to basically you know take over um, or you know help run a big part of the, the team they just have all the infrastructure already in place so we're going to be involved we're going to uh, maintain a significant ownership stake it's our development it's our money we're excited about it but we can't be more excited than to have those guys on board because um, they actually know what they're doing so yeah it's a great partner and a great location my, my friends from DePaul we used to always say uh, be bummed that the, we thought that was the problem with the DePaul basketball team. Great historical team, but they always played in the northwest <clears throat> suburbs. Now they're playing down in the South Loop, and it's just we thought that if you just have a sports team right mm -hmm. in Lincoln Park, you have so many people so many right people. there. You have just a fan base just dying to go to the, the yeah. game. And so we're talking to DePaul as well, and we'd love to have you know some of their teams be able to play. Um, but you know the the vision that the Ricketts family brings to the table is they they would love to see this be um, a, a homegrown and organic you know Wrigleyville of soccer basically where you have this full fan experience and in soccer they call it you know from pub to pitch um, where you've got you know great places to go and enjoy yourself before the game you've got the game itself and then you know things to do after the game as well so we're we're pretty excited about it and think it's going to be something that's really cool and you know, done correctly and done tastefully and just a lot of fun for everybody involved. Well, very cool. Not quite as exciting as a soccer team, but one thing that I thought was really cool from the presentation I saw you give uh, for DePaul is just 
that the Finkel steel, if you could talk about the cement, I kind of forget the details of this, but so credit to the Finkel steel guys. They did the majority of their operation on six foot slabs of cement, um, or concrete throughout the entire site. Um, and so while you, we had to break up and remove those slabs, um, their site was as clean as a site that's used for industrial and manufacturing uses, um, of that size could possibly be. Um, they were very uh, progressive in that approach, frankly, in that you know a lot of companies and even some companies you know here in the city don't don't take quite as holistic approach and long term view of it, and they just kind of do what they need to do to run their business and make money. The Finkel guys were great in that they really took an interest and cared about you know how were they going to leave this land when they did eventually leave it and they did a great job of protecting it kind of at the beginning uh, and early on before we had ever even met them or talked to them they were they were way ahead of the game on that one so kudos to them well great i'm going to transition a little bit because i just wanted to talk about you in my mind sterling bay is known for development and taking existing structures or, or structures that aren't there and seeing the development and putting something in place that people will be really excited about and drawing people to a specific area. Uh, but recently you purchased the building that we're sitting in today, which is Prudential Plaza and also the 600 North Kingsbury built building, I think it is. So 600 West Chicago. West Chicago. That's, yeah. yeah. It's near like 900 North Kingsbury. Uh, but it was where the David Barton gym is, yep. the old Montgomery Wards building. Um, I still miss Japanese, but that's okay. Yeah, that was a great restaurant. Um, and I just wanted you to talk a little bit about that because that seems to be a departure from some of what Sterling Bay has done historically. Or is it a departure? Do you have plans to improve these these buildings? Sure. Um, it's I I understand why everyone thinks it seems like a departure. You know, these are relatively stabilized um, trophy assets. Um, you know, we're sitting in a conference room overlooking. Uh, Grand Park and you couldn't you can't really beat this view and this building has been you know stable and leased you know since its inception now with that said um, you know we did see an opportunity in this building and that the location is is as good as it gets especially for East Loop um, the view is unparalleled and what we compete against in all of our tenant pitches are um, large floor plate uh, buildings and so we were finding that we're competing against you know the same half a dozen buildings in most of our bigger tenant pitches because you know they want you know significant uh, uh, floor plans and um, square footage all on one floor and there's only a few buildings in Chicago that can really offer them that. Um, this is one of them. This building has some straddle space and swing space that goes between the two buildings. It's up to a seventy thousand foot floor plan, which is you know pretty great. Um, Beyond that, when we put the building under contract, I think it was about 85% leased. Uh, and so the intent, you know, is that if we can get it up over 90, even to 95% lease, it becomes a different profile building for investors, um, for capital investors. Um, and, you know, we just love the location and, and like kind of the size and scale of the building in general. I mean, this is a building that's over 2 million square feet. And so it it's what we have learned over the last 10 years is all those little deals we did in Fulton Market are great, but they all take just about as much work as the ones that are five times their size. And so we wanted to start doing, focusing more on doing bigger deals. Um, 600 Chicago is a similar story. Great building, great character, large floor plates, a lot of tenants that are kind of in there already stable, but you know, some room to um, 
grow the tenant mix and improve the tenant composition in general while making some modest improvements to the building. Um, you know, we're already doing some things with the retail and the plaza space that we think are going to be great for the tenants who are in there as well as the neighbors around the building. Um, and it was another one. That building, I think, is a million and a half square feet that, you know, it's just a building of scale and size that we would compete against in different tenant pitches. And so, you know, I don't want to say it was if you can't beat them, join them, but it was, you know, we wanted to start owning some of those assets and, and kind of controlling our destiny more on the large tenant leasing front um, than we were able to with just ground-up construction. So, Yeah, it also has that great riverfront uh, property. It's right on the river, and if you've ever walked back there, I think it's kind of quiet back there, and that could be a good thing, but it's also probably you guys see opportunity so there's a the river. Yep, there's a water taxi stop at 600 Chicago. It only takes about uh, 12 minutes, 10 minutes to get from our site at Lincoln Yards to the 600 Chicago site. And so we do think there's going to be some synergy there. Um, and whether or not that building gets used as incubator or swing space for tenants who are building properties in Lincoln Yards, you know, remains to be seen. But it wouldn't shock me if that happened. So. And just about uh, Sterling Bay, how long have you been with the company? I've been with the company 10 years this year. So it was uh, the end of 2008. Yeah, it was, uh, it's been a a real fun decade to say the least. So, and how much has Sterling Bay grown over the years? I think I was the sixth employee in the office at the time when I started. Um, and we are now upwards of 150 people more if I count all the engineers who I can't possibly uh, keep track of given the various buildings, but it's 150 people in the office today. So That's incredible growth. And then just uh, we'll get you out of here on this as Kornheiser, Tony Kornheiser would say on ESPN is just a little bit about Victory Ranch because I think it's really fun and the pictures are really cool yeah. if people want to look it up. Um, Victory Ranch is a great development. Now, you know, if you want to talk about a departure from our investment thesis, Victory Ranch would be the departure from our investment thesis. However, even with that said, what Victory Ranch was was a value and basis acquisition where uh, it was uh, brought to us by our partner John Gavin and his friend Dave Bryant. Um, and it was a 6,400-acre ranch just outside of Park City um, in Utah. And we are not luxury home developers. We're not ranch developers. But, you know, the, the story was um, the original developer had sunk, you know, a significant amount of capital into developing the golf course and a bunch of the infrastructure and some of the amenities of the property. And then the market turned in 2007. And, and you know, unfortunately, the bank took it back from him. And then, you know, the bank had their loan on it. And... They started to market it and didn't get many takers, um, probably wisely, you know, in some regards. Um, but we were able to acquire it from the bank for about a third of their note value. And so we thought, you know, we had stolen it at the time. And then we realized that even at that basis, nobody was going to, you know, buy it from us and double our money. And so we actually had to put our shoulder behind it and develop it. And that was when um, Andy brought his partner, Matt Mena, uh, over to Sterling Bay. Matt runs the Four Corners Hospitality Group. Um, and you know, really, it's Matt and uh, it, Matt Mena was tasked with making the ranch work, and to his credit, he did a phenomenal job. Um, and he designed, you know, the new uh, post it's called, which is the swimming amenity, the new barn, which is kind of the family center. Put in um, a cabin building program and a bunch of other things. You know, we say cabins, but they're you know 3,500 square foot homes that go for two million dollars. <laughs> And it's just beautiful out there. And so it's 6,400 acres of 
you know, we, we call it, you know, adult playground where you've got some of the best golf you can have, some of the best fly fishing in the world where you've got five miles of private river that run through the property. Uh, and then my favorite thing to do out there is there's wild bird hunting. And so on the back 3,000 acres, you, you go and you hike, and these are wild birds that live on the property. And uh, you go out with uh, Harley Jackson, who's the hunting guide, and he brings three or four of his dogs with him. And, you know, if they find him and if you, you're, you're having a good day, you get a couple, and uh, it's, a, it's just a great time. And then in the winter, you're about 15 minutes from Park City and Deer Valley, and you go ski. And it's, you know, there are some places that uh, you, you, you're, you know, you, you you were just in Vegas. You said for ICSC. I'm always I ready. Was, yeah. I'm always ready to leave Vegas when I'm in Vegas. For sure. Okay. The ranch. You you be there two weeks, three weeks, and every time you leave, you're sad. Um, you you don't really want to leave. <laughs> so. Very cool. Well, are you still? Are there still properties? To there the are sold? still properties available. Go to VictoryRanchUtah.com and check out the real estate listings. No, there's there are properties that are still available. I think we're about eighty percent sold. So. Very cool. Very cool. Well. I like your motto. Bring us your biggest idea. Thank you for bringing your big ideas to our podcast. And we appreciate your time today, Dean. Thank you, Philip. No information contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or other professional advice. And no professional relationship of any kind is created between you, the podcast host, the guests, or Clark Hill PLC. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and the guests, and not necessarily Clark Hill PLC.